How you guys doing? Wow, terrible day. Um, cool. If you guys don't know me, my name is Andrew. Um, I am on staff with the college ministry, and I'm sh- yeah, I'm just really glad to see you guys. Really excited for some of you guys. Who's like this is like your first time ever stepping foot in this building? Yeah, super. I just made it really awkward for you, so I'm really sorry. But and then for the rest of you guys, you guys know like it's kind of like a new setup. Like we have these stage lights, which is super cool. I was I was thinking like last year we had really bright, kind of bright, not bright, pitch black, and it was terrible. Like you stood up here and it was like either you're in a like hospital room or you're like you can't see anyone. So we're really thankful and really excited just to like have all this and super cool. Um, Sweet. Um, if you guys are here last week, we are kind of in this weird, like we're not in a series, but we're kind of in this like continuity of sermons called um, Encounters. And we're just looking through stories of people that have encountered Jesus and what happens. And so if you were here last week, we talked about a woman who had a bleeding issue for 12 years that when she touched the robe of Jesus, she um, became healed. And then we also, in the same story, talked about Jairus, who was a leader of the Jewish people, and his daughter ended up dying, and Jesus brought her back from the dead. And we we talked about um, how ultimately that sickness and death were conquered by Jesus on the cross. Um, And tonight, what we want to do is we want to find another story that just of a man who encounters Jesus and something happens. So if you guys want to flip over to the book of Luke, the same book we were in last week, but we're going to be in chapter five. But before we dive in, I want to ask a question. Who here has ever seen the movie Matrix? Golly, I am, I am like aging myself really hard because when I was in college, someone asked that question. And it was like five people too. If you haven't seen it, it's a great movie series. But I guess I have to really explain it now. So The Matrix is this movie. I'm not going to go into detail. It's kind of like um, Inception. Who here has seen Inception? Perfect. Even less. Let's go. Um, so this is really going to fall on people. But the movie Matrix is about this like sci... Not, it's not, I wouldn't say sci-fi. It kind of is. But it's like this reality of what's going on. Like some people see the reality. Some don't. Some are trapped. Things like that. Um, but ultimately, you don't really know. need to know what's happening. But... There's two main characters. There's Neo, who's the main guy, who's kind of like the savior of everything. And then there's Morpheus, who is this guy. Um, So Neo is like trying to figure out, he knows something wrong inside the real world of what he's trying to do. And he meets this guy named Morpheus. They wear the weirdest clothes. Um, But eventually he comes to this house. And it's this big house. It's storming outside. It's like the perfect scene. Morpheus is sitting in front of a fire. He's looking and Neo starts asking all these questions. About, like, about the world and about these things. And maybe even if you haven't seen the movie, you've seen this scene. Morpheus looks at Neo, and he puts out two hands. There's a red pill and a blue pill. Some of you guys are like, oh, no, no, okay. Um, but pretty much this is what Morpheus says. He, he looks at Neo and says, you take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. See, because the thing is, is Neo at this point could figure out what really was true or he can just go on the rest of his life doing and being the same person and doing the same thing. And that's kind of the, the story we engage with tonight as we go to the story here in Luke. There's a man who encounters Jesus and in essence, the same question is asked. Are you going to continue your life doing whatever you're doing or is there something better and there's something greater? And so we find ourselves in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. And it says this, And after this, 
he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here's my goal tonight. I just want to, I want to make four observations. I want to point out four things for you guys um, that I see from this text. And so the first one is this, point one, Jesus seeks the outsider. So what we know is going on in this story is Jesus has been healing people. He's been moving around. He's been going from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And so we don't really know where Jesus is exactly at, but we know that he's in a city. So Jesus is walking in this city, um, and, he, and he sees this man named Levi. And for most of us, we just like, like, are like, oh, this guy named Levi, something happens, right? But there's so much more to the story of Levi. Um, it actually goes so in-depth that it would say the profession of Levi. And it says that Levi was a tax collector. Now, for all of us, actually, I, don't, I mean, I already dated myself. So for most of us, like, we know what the IRS is? <laughs> yes, good. Wait, do, who, raise your hand if you know what the IRS is. Good, because in five years, when they hit you with your taxes, you're going to go, I hate them. Um, my life right now. But the IRS, like, you're like, something with taxes, something going on. But their job was so much more. Like, their job would be to be in a city, um, and they would tax people with merchandise and things that they're selling, and they would do all these things, and ultimately, they were hated men. And one of the reasons why is because the Roman government was in charge at this point, and the Roman government would hire these men. Now, even worse is that they would tax people, but they would tax people and then they would charge a little bit more and they would keep it for themselves. So to be a tax collector means you had to be extremely corrupt, extremely evil, and people just despise them. Like none of us, any of us that have been cheated or lied to or stolen from understand that feeling we have towards someone. But even more, they were hated just because they were corrupt, but even more this is that the Roman government would hire men that lived in the city that they were tax collectors of. So these guys, they knew the city, they understood the city, and they knew the people. This would be like the guy you, or the guy you would grow up with, you would be friends with, you'd spend time with, and then he would sit there and look you in the face and steal money from you. And while you and your family may not have eaten, he's living lavishly with his family in the biggest houses with the biggest things with all the power. That is who Levi was. He's not just a tax collector. He's a man that is hated. He's a man that was an outcast. Nobody around wanted to be his friend if they couldn't gain from him personally. But for some reason, Jesus comes up to this man and he engages with him. And just to think, like, what would happen to go up to him would require that everybody see him. Because he's not, like, standing out in the middle of some field somewhere. He's in the city. Everything is happening. People are going around. This is like if someone, like, posted up in the plaza and you saw him and you knew they were a thief, right? And a great example is if you go to CSU, you know what's happening. There's, they, they're there Monday and Tuesday in the plaza. Street preachers, right? I, I heard them from, like, a mile away and I said, dang it, I hope that's not them. Um, but they were. Um, it's like a street preacher. You know who they are. You don't really like them. Like, they're, they're probably not speaking the best things. And that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus goes up and engages this man and everyone sees. 
Everyone knows what Jesus is doing and who he is talking to. And the thing is, is he went up to Levi and he, he, he called them to do something that nobody else would. Called them to follow him. And that's important to, to realize here because I think most of us, when we hear this, Jesus seeks the outsider. What it means is, oh, I can be really nice to people that, like, really nice to people that others don't like. Or I can just, like, say hey to them and, like, know their name. But Jesus, when we talk about this word seeks, it means Jesus is actively looking for those that are hurting and suffering and outcast and hated, and he's willing to engage his full life with them. Is that the same for us? Like, when you hear these words, does it make you want to go, hey, I want to meet and love and care and engage with someone that everyone else hates, that everyone else despises? That's what Jesus is doing here. He seeks to know a man that nobody else wants to know. And then he goes to them and he makes this crazy, like, he says, hey, follow me, which means like, in, like it, we'll go into a little bit more of it, but it's like in this moment, he's like asking him to like be a lifelong friend with him. How many of us are willing to get out of the comfort of our lives, get out, the, get out of the shell of our own like pride and image and go like, man, who needs to be loved and who's hated that I could care for? regardless of what people say about me, regardless of how people respond, do we seek the outsider like Jesus? So right, Jesus comes up to him, he engages Levi, he talks to Levi, and then he says, hey, Levi, follow me. And it leads me to my second observation, it's this. And I changed it like 10 minutes ago. Um, so if you're taking notes, you can add on to it. It says, um, we are called to follow him even if it requires everything. Right, we don't really like, as you can tell, you're like, Andrew, this, this chat, like this story is like six verses long. It doesn't have a lot of depth. But what we know is Jesus has a conversation with him. And the reason we know that is because when Jesus calls all his other disciples in different parts of the, New, um, the gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's, there's conversation, there's interaction, there's something that is going on. Um, and really all we know is this, and it says, in leaving everything, he rose and followed him. But we have to understand is just this idea of leaving everything. There's so much weight inside of that. Like, we just kind of fly by the story, at least me. I mean, you guys may be way better than me. I just read, I'm like, oh, he, like, he left everything and he like, left. And like, I, always fo I always focus on the following, but I never focus on the leaving. Right? Like, you, had to, you have to understand, like, this guy would have to have got up, left his job, left his comfort, given up everything that his whole life was around, and followed after someone who's calling him to do something completely different. This really stuck with me because when I was thinking through this, I was like, man, what would it look like if someone called me to leave Northern Colorado? Right? I, I did this, like, some, in some ways, it's, I look like, be kind of easy. Four years ago when I moved up from Texas, it was really easy. I was a single guy. I was getting, I wasn't getting booted out of my job, but they were like, look, you graduated, you gotta go. I was like, okay, cool, I gotta go somewhere. And I moved up to Colorado. But if I was to like, if someone was to call me tonight and say, Andrew, you want to take this job in Chicago? I mean, leaving everything would matter way more. Like I'd, I have to think about, oh, I have a wife now. And like my wife, she owns a company. I have to ask her to sell. And I'd have to leave all my friends that I've built this community. I have to leave this church that's become my home. I'd have to look and think of my daughter and go, man, where am I taking her? I'd have to like 
sell a house in this market, which sucks um, and terrible. But it's like all these things. I, I sat there and I was like, man, I'd consider like so much harder than four years ago when I was moving, like leaving college. And I was like a single guy that had really like just trying to figure it out. We always focus on the follow, but the leaving requires so much more. And it requires so much more when we think of our own lives. If, you've, if you're here to, like, tonight and you've surrendered your life to Christ and you've chosen to follow after him, what did you have to give up? Because I know for me, when I, I, when I didn't know Christ, I could do whatever the heck I want. And I dug my roots deep and I made friends and I had community and I had a life that was about Andrew. And when I decided to follow Christ, everything changed. I, I, I remember the first conversation I had with my friends. I won't, I won't say fully what he said, but there was a guy named Rocky. And I was sitting there and... Most people, if you would have known me pre-Christ to like after I became a believer, you, I would have been the guy that you're like, he's never going to like know who Jesus is. And I remember him looking at me, and there was a lot of explicitives um, in his word. He's like, oh, you're following after that God thing now. And I remember sitting there, and we were working together, and I just like, I didn't know what to say. I was like, I was like, actually, there's a lot of things I want to say, but we're going, and I was like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, like, I don't, I don't really know. And then all my other friends, like, mocked me and I was like I don't really know what to do like I want to follow this Jesus guy but all my friends are saying these things like we forget what we have to give up when you read this story when we when we talk to people about Jesus there's something that's required to give up and and Levi understood that because in Matthew chapter 16 Jesus is talking to his disciples and it says this, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. All of us have required to give something up. Every person, when we talk about following Jesus, there is a requirement to give up. And for some of us, it may not be as grievous as like, I'm going to get rid of everything I have and I'm going to like give up my job and give up my friends and all those things, but there is something that's required. But I think what the beautiful thing here, and even it says in the book of Matthew, it's like, can you go back one more slide, Kira? Sorry. Cool. It says, it says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. That if you follow Jesus, you will ultimately save your life. You'll save your soul. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? There are things that come when we follow Jesus that nothing else can take. Nothing else can give, right? There is things that you're chasing after in your life that will never satisfy the way that God does. But the sad part is, is many of us look at the gifts of God and we think that God is holding something back from us. Have any of you guys seen those little videos about the little kids and the marshmallows? Nope, okay, cool. Um, it's, okay, I'll just lay it out. You probably have it, like probably when you guys were in high school or something. I know they show them a lot. It's this thing where they have these little kids sitting at a table and they put one marshmallow in front of them. And they look at them and they go, hey, there's one marshmallow. If you don't eat the marshmallow, by the time I come back, I'll give you a second marshmallow. And then they go away for like 20, 10, 20 minutes. Some of them are different. And you see the kids and they're like, like kids are like licking it. Or they're like, they're just like in this mind, all they see is what's in front of them. And they're like, this marshmallow will make me happy. 
It's good. It's right. I, I know marshmallows taste good. And they kind of forget that they had said, oh, but I'll give you two if you just wait. And if you know kids, are, they're exactly like us, just a little bit younger, that they don't have patience, and it's like, I'm just going to eat the marshmallow. And that's honestly the way we look at the gifts of the Lord, the promises that he has. But, but like, God, what's in front of me is so much better than what's going to come. And God's looking at you saying, just wait, just wait. I promise what I have for you is better. Right? I promise you that if you wait to have sex, it will be so much greater in your marriage than if you just sleep around now. I promise you that if you just don't partake in getting drunk and high, that, I, that the things that I have for you are better. That I promise you if you stop hanging out with those friends that are leading you to do the things you shouldn't do, I promise you that there's a community that will lift you greater than the people around you. I can go on and on about the lies that we believe, that we think that they'll satisfy us, but God is sitting here saying, and I have something so much better. When, we t- when, when Jesus is looking, he says, those that deny themselves and follow me, all we think about is the denial. We forget what the beauty of following looks like. That's what Levi understood. And the reason we know that is because when Levi became, started following Jesus, he changed his name to Matthew. And he's the one who wrote this. This tax collector that was hated, that that wanted nothing to do with Christ. He wanted to selfishly build up himself. He chose to follow Jesus, and Jesus used him to write a book. In in like this thing that all of us, like there's nothing getting added or taken away, and this is the book. Like if you want to know God, you read this. And God used a tax collector to write it. What can he do with us when we choose to follow after him with all we have? So the first thing I see is that like Jesus seeks the outsider. The second thing is that Jesus calls us to follow him even if it costs everything. The third thing I see is this, is our faith is meant to be shared. So if you continue on with this story, um, it says this, um, and Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Like, Levi didn't just go like, I'm going to follow Jesus. He says, yo, I'm going to call everyone I have around me and tell them about what just happened. Like, he says he throws a feast. Like, this is not just like a little get-together um, at your house, like, like we did late night last week, and there was like a ton of you guys playing games. It's like, it's not that. This is a feast. This is get everyone involved. Levi brought everyone that was corrupt and wicked and evil, the ones that he saw himself in, the ones that were outcasts just like him. He says, I got something to tell you. And we don't read anything here that Levi was worried about getting talked about or cast out. He just said, there's something that is different and you need to know. If this following after Jesus is so good and it's so great, then why don't we act like it sometimes? Levi understood this. He wrote again in the book of Matthew in um, chapter 13. It says this, and the, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, um, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. There's something about it when we decide that we want to follow Christ, there's something so joyful and so treasureful that we want to tell other people. It's as silly as this, for the, for the truth of it. Um, I guess this is like a really dad thing. And like, but I got like a new car 
and it's a 2011 Honda Pilot. It's seat seven. It has a lot of storage, and I love it. Like, I, I'll just, I'll just like throw it out there. Like, it's really lame. Like, I never thought in my life. I'm like, I'm gonna be really excited about a dad car. But um, my wife's car can't. She can't, it can't put anything in there. But I'm just like, look how like I remember texting my friends, sending pictures, like super lame. Like I was just like, but look at my car. Like I'm so excited about this. I think I told more people about my Honda Pilot than I've talked about my faith in the last year. Yeah, that's a big oof, right? Um, and I remember, I, I honestly was just sitting here this week, and I was like, man, how humbling is that? That I would rather tell people that I don't even know, that I like, rarely talk about. I would tell them about a car that like, in 10 years is going to die out and be no more. Then I am to talk about the Savior who says, hey, there's something greater than this world. Because the truth is, is that I struggle to share my faith because a lot of times I wrestle with sometimes believing that the promises that's right in front of me or the, the thing that's right in front of me is not greater than the God who's saying, I have something better. And that's just me being honest with myself. But Levi didn't see that. He saw the joy. He saw the treasure. And he's like, hey, I just want to tell people. He didn't care if he got rejected. He didn't care what happened. He's like, this is something that's so important to me. And I don't say this to, make, to guilt you as you leave, to be like, oh, if you're not a good Christian or God doesn't love, that's like, no, no, that's not the case. But I want to question your heart. What is holding you back from not caring and just sharing with people? What's holding you back from believing that this is that good? I always, and it's funny because I, I, I give this advice and then, you know, like I said, I told more people about my car than my faith. Um, but it's like, Let's just say, like, like, there, like, we look at cancer, right? And, like, what if I had the cure to cancer? I'd be running around throwing it at people. I'd be saying, look, I have what can heal you. I have what's better. Don't you want to use it? You would do the exact same thing. But rather, I treat it like this thing of, like, I kind of hold to myself, and I go, like, eh, let me, how sick are you really? Like, do you really need this? Ah, what if you get upset if I talk to you about it? Our faith is meant to be shared. And the last thing I see from this text is this. I mean, it kind of takes, takes a turn from Levi to something to some, a different group, but it's this. Our pride keeps us from rejoicing and changed life. I forgot an end, I apologize. Um, but right, as this party's going on, as Levi's sharing all these things, there's this group of people that enter the scene, and they're called the Pharisees. If you guys are like, I don't have any idea what the Pharisees, that's totally okay. Um, it's the religious leaders at this time. It was the people that were over like the Jewish Christian faith. Like these guys were like the pinnacle of pinnacles, right? They like most likely had the whole or most of the, the Old Testament, which is like stupid long, memorized, Right? They, they, they followed all the rules, they prayed at the right times, and they ate the right things, and they did the right things, and no image was ever broken inside of them. They were like the perfect of the perfect, or at least that's how they portrayed themselves. And they come to Jesus, and ultimately what they're kind of doing is they're looking down on Jesus. They're questioning, like, is this guy really doing this? And they say this. In verse 30, it says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled, or another word for that is complained, at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Right? This, this really sticks with me. Um, 
You can put the picture up. So this, I love this picture. This is freshman Andrew, freshman college Andrew. This is like 10 years ago. I looked at this photo and I was like, good. Who put, I didn't know how to dress either. Um, so this is freshman Andrew. And I, I, look, I remember looking back at this photo this week and I was like, man, when I read all this, you know, what, you know who I am in this story more than anything else? I'm the Pharisee. And I looked back at college and I was like, man, I remember being in college and I remember how many friendships I destroyed. I remember how many people who were interested in Christianity that I like, sh- like scared away. Because this guy, all through college, all I cared about was like, how can I be the best Christian? I only learn knowledge so that I can push it on other people and say, look how good I am. The only reason that I didn't, I didn't like do wrong, like I was like, if you met me back then, I was like, oh, I was underage too, so that makes sense. But I was like, I'm never going to drink. I'm never going to cuss. I don't listen to this kind of music. And it was all like, this, I look back, I'm like, man, I'm an idiot. Because all I cared about was like, how do people perceive Andrew as being the good Christian? How does, how does this guy get up the ladder of what it looks like to be better than people? And that's exactly what the Pharisees are doing here when you're talking to Jesus. They don't really care about who they're talking to. It's the fact that they want to place themselves more righteous and holy and better than anyone else in this conversation. They're complaining, right? In essence, they're saying, if Jesus is so holy and good, why would would he go so, so low as to be with these people? Why would he associate with them, be around them, interact with them? Because they're so focused on their image and power that time after time, they miss the point. And how easy we slip into that of like, I'm just going to go through the Christian thing. I'm going to do the right things. I'm going I'm to say and act and do all these things because it's the right thing. But the true image of who God is is completely tattered and gone. Right? There's four observations. Um, Jesus seeks the outsider. We are called to follow him even if it requires everything. Our faith is meant to be shared, and pride ends up killing our joy in what Jesus is doing. And we end with the most beautiful part is that Jesus in all of this, like Jesus is the one who meets Levi, and he, he calls him to follow after him. He, he, call, he comes to this big gathering, is like excited about what's happening, and you have these people that are trying to kill it, and then you have this response of Jesus. In verse 31, Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is not looking or wasn't and isn't looking for those well put together. He isn't looking for those that can do the correct things, right? He's not going up to people who are trying to be righteous. He goes to the lame and the sick. He goes to the outcasts and the rejected, those that nobody wanted. Right? Jesus isn't looking for those that are put together. He's looking for those that are broken. Because the thing is, is when, when people try to put their lives together, they put this image out in front of them, and they try to act like everything's okay, and they're like, this is who I am. I don't need Jesus. Jesus isn't, didn't go to the people that had it all together because those were the Pharisees. Everything about them was, what does this world look at in front of me? I can put it together. And Jesus, he, more than anything, he called them out in their sin rather than actually meet them in their hearts. 
But Jesus, he went to the sick, the needy, because he knew that the needy needed something. And he knows that the needy know that they need something. Right? The hopeless, they know they need hope. The lonely know that they need friends. The hurting know that they need care. The unloved know they need love. The broken know that they need help. Jesus goes to the people that know that they need something and he fills all the gaps that aren't there. Jesus isn't about going to the perfect people or the right people. He's going to the people that need him the most. And the thing is, is what he's saying here, you hear it, he's like, oh, he's calling out the Pharisees because they don't, like, they don't get it. And it's like, yes, but he's like calling them out because that's who he's talking about. The Pharisees didn't understand that they were sick. They never understood that they needed help. They tried to lie their way into being better. Jesus was pointing to the Pharisees and like this whole room of extremely righteous, moral people and these sinners that broke all the law and these rejected people. And Jesus is like, I'm pretty much talking to this whole room. I'm here to save you because you're sick, not because you know you're sick, but because you are. He's coming and he's giving his ultimate purpose here. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 24, 24 and 25, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus died so we no longer have to be sick. We no longer have to be covered in sin, which is rebellion against God, willing and unwilling. And we don't even see it in our own lives, how drenched in it we are. It's like jumping into an ocean and getting completely covered and coming down and saying you're dry. That's our mentality towards sin. That's our mentality towards the brokenness of our own life. But the truth is we should... We should just like we you're jumping in the ocean and we're just soaked and we realize who we really are. And as you're freezing, you're like, I need a towel. Do we see our own hearts and realize I need a savior? One that already came and died and redeemed us. When it's, he, he died and bore our sins on a tree. The worst way to die. Mocked, made fun of. He went, he went from being the God of the universe to walk into earth and take the ultimate humbling. The ultimate form of rejection because he desires a relationship with us. Jesus did all that so he can look at the outsider and say, come follow me. He looked at us in this room and said, when, he, when, when you started following me, he says, hey, go share with others. Those that were like you, the ones that have no hope, the ones that are outcasts, the ones that are alone, the ones that are helpless, go to them and tell them about me. Don't let your pride, don't let your arrogance, don't let anything else get in the way, but go. That's why Jesus, before he goes to heaven, right, in, Ma- in the end of Matthew, is called the Great Commission. He says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Now, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you. When we go, we are not alone. But as we go, we need to talk to people about who is our Savior and our Redeemer. So I, I want to end with this. I want to ask a few questions, and it's this. Are you here tonight, and you are the outsider? Are you've always been the outcast, the left out, the unknown person. 
Please hear me tonight when, when I say that the one who created you desires a relationship with you. That may not make sense and that may not feel right, but I promise you the one that, that put you together and created you loves you deeply. And he invites you into a relationship that's far better than anything this world can offer. But I'd also like to say on a very physical like, understanding is like if you're here tonight and you just feel hopeless and you feel alone, we'd love to be in community with you. Like we, love, we would love to walk and show you that we care for you. Second question I have is the th- thing I have is this, is maybe you are here tonight and the whole following Jesus things sounds like something you want to consider or something you want to do. It's as easy as this. Like you're like, I want this. Andrew, this sounds great. Like this following Jesus sounds what I want to do. It's as simple as this. All Jesus requires of us to follow him is repent of your sin, to confess that you are a sinner like everyone else in this room and choose to make him the Lord of your heart, the Lord of your life that you're going to follow after at all cost. And if that's you, we'd love to talk to you, me, Josephine, the one that was standing here in the middle. Talk to the person that invited you. Just be like, yo, I want to talk about this. Like, we'd love to have a conversation. The third thing is this, right? For some of you, you've given your life and decided to follow Jesus, but no one around knows. Maybe that's because fear and anxiety and lies have to- like built up inside of you that, like, man, that I'm just going to be rejected again. I'm going to be hated. I'm going to be outcast. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I don't even know what that looks like or how to do that. But I want to say this, is that Jesus is with you as you go. Even as you stumble across it, even as you have to move through your fear, even if you are rejected. The God you decided to follow is still with you in all of it. And lastly, I ask this, maybe your sins have caused you not to even rejoice at the sign of someone's new life. You're more about being right and doing right hoping that you in some way can save yourselves. Or maybe it's even having so little faith that God can save someone like that. And I just ask that you would would meet the Lord and just confess some of that sin that's holding onto your heart. I know for me, this week has been a lot of that when walking through this and like realizing some truth. It's like, man, Lord, I, I haven't been like what you're calling me to do. I've been more like a Pharisee seeking my kingdom than living my heart for yours. So if, you're, if you fall into any of these four, we're gonna have time of worship and I just say like, find someone to talk to, worship. Yeah, pray to the Lord, whatever you need to do in this time. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for tonight. Yeah, I thank you for just your word, Lord, that the truth that you called a man who was a sinner, um, who was an outcast, who was lost, Lord, and you met him and you saved him. And Lord, you do the exact same thing for us. Lord, I just pray um, that here in this room, that no matter where we're at, if we don't know you, if we're considering you, if we, if we love you and we have no idea how to share that with people, or even if we're a Pharisee and we're holding onto pride and arrogance, Lord, that you would just convict us and you would move. So Father, speak to us, meet us, and let us look to you with all we have. It's in your name we pray. Amen.